my prediction for the future is that ERGs will be a big part of how companies do business. And hopefully that's ushered by the work that we're doing. What's up, everybody, and welcome to The Future at Work, a show where we give you a glimpse into the future of work through the lens of the founders that are building it as they build it. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am your host, Darian Michael, and I'm stoked for you all to meet my guest today. His name is Toby Egbuna. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Chezzy. They are a software platform whose mission is to create the most inclusive workplaces on earth. And they're doing that by providing companies with a comprehensive solution for building impactful employee resource groups or ERGs, if you've heard of these, or maybe you manage them. Their software is used by companies like Instacart, the MBA, and Chegg, to name a small few. Um, and the cool piece to this story, the backstory for this conversation is I actually met Toby, I feel like it's been maybe one or two years ago at a Sherm pitch competition. So we met while competing against each other, but this is actually the first time that he and I have got to sit down, hang out and chop it up a bit. So I was really excited for this conversation. I'm excited for you to hear it. He's another sibling co-founder. We love to see that. He's also like myself, a former college basketball player, but he actually competed at a much higher level at the University of North Carolina, where he walked on. He gets to share that story with us. And their company is doing some really creative things and creating a lot of impact for the people that they get to work with. So really excited to dive into this conversation. I guess, do you remember how how we first connected? Admittedly, I don't, to be honest with you, man. I feel like maybe we were both interviewing for something. Like it's, yeah. it was an accelerator we were applying for or something? No, we both, I forget. It's the Sherm, it was the Sherm pitch competition. Yeah, I forget yeah, which region yeah, yeah. we were both in, but yeah. yeah, we were both in that pitch competition. And I think you made it through to at least to the next step. I'm I not made sure. It the, I made it to the next round the last two years. And then every time at the next round, they cut us off. I was just telling another founder, I'm like, I'm done with pitch competition. I hope I never have to do it again. How, how are things going? Like, what are, what are you all focused on right now? Like, what's the, you know, what's the main thing right now for you guys? Yeah, we got two kind of two trades moving full speed ahead at this point, man. So we we built our initial version of the product on Bubble, which is like a no code platform because we got a very traditional, plain SaaS app that only had that only requires a couple of integrations. And like yeah. you know, it works right now. It's piecemeal. There's a lot of duct tape, you know, keeping it together, yeah. but it works. We in June, our product just started to like crash. We like really, really just hit the limit of like what Bubble could do, and we we fixed it, and now we like we added a bunch of capacity to it. We just paid for more like service Bubble yeah. server space, basically. But that was a, a real signal for us that like it was a good problem to have, right? Yeah. That we just got like we onboarded like a customer with we onboarded DocuSign that's like six thousand people, that's Trimble crazy. was like fifteen thousand people. You know, it was just like literally more people than our system had had ever seen before, <laughs> and it was just like we we're not built for this. That was one reason for us to make this this switch away from Bubble into like a full stack developed product. The other one was just that like, you know, we we talked to a bunch of our customers and they were telling us about like what makes Chessy special is just the data that it gives you about the ERGs because a big pain point for them right now is the fact that you can't really tie ERG work and programs to people impact or like business impact, right? Like being yeah. able to tell you the number of members you have in each ERG is cool. But like what does that mean in terms of engagement or retention or stuff like that? Um, and we can get that data. Right. It's just that right now we can't really access it with bubble because those integrations are hard to build. So with the full stack, we have a lot more 
freedom to build the integrations that we want to build. So that's train one, right? Is going full speed towards getting off a bubble and building up. We're building that thing from scratch. We just brought in another engineer Jeez. to, you know, lead off the front end for us. But then the other train is that we have this ERG summit, like a big conference that we're hosting. It's going to be a half day virtual summit hosted on Zoom events. My my sister, my co-founder is doing 100% of the work for that. I, I, I touch it when she needs me to, but that's it. You know, it's, it's just an opportunity, I think, for we've like we really invested in content, right? Like we have a bunch of templates and blog posts and we host webinars pretty regularly. This is just another opportunity for people to learn what other URGs are doing, what the best practices are to network, that sort of thing. And obviously, it's great that like the Chessy logo is on it. You know, it's a Chessy yeah. branded thing. We got a lot of signups. I think we put it out like 10 days ago. We got like 650 50 people registered for it. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. So. You know, the initial goal was 600 and we hit that like quick. So now the goal is a thousand. We got a little bit more push to do, but you know, we're like, we're literally a month away. We're four weeks away from it. It's October 4th, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm giving the keynote for that. But anyway, like all the planning and kind of like, it's a lot that goes behind doing these events. We literally hired somebody. Even virtual. like I'm, yeah, yeah, even virtual. Exactly. We literally hired somebody to like handle the handoff between speakers to like make sure everybody knows how to use Zoom events, stuff like that. So, um, that's the other big thing. And then, like, you know, there's a consistent work it's always doing. You're always fixing bugs. You're always trying to make sales. You're always doing, you know, outreach, stuff like that. But I think those are the two kind of big company priorities that we're working on right now. That's what's up. On the migration side, like, how far along is that? And I guess even before that, you mentioned just, like, onboarding, you know, thousands of users. What has that experience been like? And is that pretty easy? Or, like, how do you guys handle, you know, onboarding so many users? It's interesting because our product is, like, it's ERGs are... Except if you're a company of 15,000 people, in a perfect world, you have 15,000 people in ERGs, right? Yeah. Um, so our product is available and accessible by anyone at the company. Now, realistically, most companies come to us and they're somewhere around like 20, 25% ERG participation. Yeah. And we want to get you closer to 50% after like year one. And then ultimately, but I think that it's probably going to cap at like 65, 70%. You're just always going to have people that are, you know, there to go to work and go home. The biggest thing has just been like the sheer number of like trainings and onboarding sessions and things like that that we had to do. But yeah. the actual act of getting all that employee data into the system wasn't necessarily the problem. I think the big challenge was most of our companies before April, May were like a thousand people, right? So like on launch day when Chessy opens, maybe five to 10% of the company logs in, right? So 50 to 100 users was never really a big problem. But when you're 15,000 yeah. people, Right. That five to 10 percent turns into like fifteen hundred people logging yeah, in, silly. checking out. You know what I'm saying? That was a big thing. It actually just turned out to be like one individual workflow that was killing it. That was like taking up like legitimately 60 percent of the, the server space. So we just optimized that and it was fine. Yeah, man, I, I don't know. I think the, the hardest part about it is just kind of the coordination of like making sure we have all the data that we need from the customer who's working with somebody. And you guys are dealing with a lot of employee data integrating into the system. So I imagine there's a lot of hoops to jump through. And there is, like, especially. But like doing all that is fine before you sign, before the contract yeah. is signed. You know what I mean? Like you can ask whatever questions you want about our system, but afterwards you like any questions that you have should have been asked before, They're you know? Right. And now we're like pulling in engineering resources that are, you know, like Jesse, our engineer, he's very used to filling out a security questionnaire, like so we can get a contract, right? But when you're asking him to like change his mindset and shift from whatever he's working on, in this case, like getting us into a full stack environment to go back to answering those same security questions, it's taxing. And that's part of what just comes with having a small team. You, yeah. You know, Jesse, like I, a lot of times I ask these questions. He's I, like, do it I, all. I, I would answer these questions if I could. I literally can't. So it's got to be you. You got to make time for it. Yeah. Again, man, it's like it's, it's a good problem to have. Right. Like we yeah. could be in a situation where we're not spent. <laughs> right. Or like we don't have 
company questions to answer. And that base we're not making sales. So, um, yeah. No, that's legit though. Those are legit. Look, I mean, you already saw the ones that are on your, your website, but those ones too, like those are big time, time logos. Like what's it been like? Did you have sales experience before this? What's that been that learning curve? If uh, I definitely didn't. Um, and I was leading sales when we first started, like I got our first probably five or six customers before, yeah. um, until my sister, my co-founder again, went full time. And then she kind of, she took over sales cause she was doing tech sales at IBM beforehand. So she had at least yeah, been she, through, you know, a couple sales programs and stuff like that. Sales is rough though, yo, it's rough. <laughs> sales is like, there's always that saying, like you get up seven times, you fall down seven times, you get up eight, like that's sales every single day, Yeah. right? Every single day you get people that don't answer your emails, that don't hit you back, that straight up tell you no, we'll, we'll email you and be like, uh, you know, for whatever reason, we just don't have it. You just like, you get told no or denied all the time, all in chase of that one yes. Yeah. And then you get that yes and you gotta go back to getting a bunch more no's until you get another yes. And if you're lucky, you get two yeses in a row and yeah. then you get another no. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. you consistently get knocked down. I played basketball in college and there's this like, yeah. the whole idea that like, you miss a shot, you forget about it. Yeah. Right. You miss People a shot, you forget about it. The next one, the next one is going in. Right. And for sales, it's not even that you think the next one is going in. It's just that you know no matter what, you're gonna take that next shot. Yeah. Right? And the day you don't take that next shot, you're done. You're not a salesperson anymore. Yeah, you miss you, yeah, the, you miss hundred percent of the right. shots you don't exactly. take. Exactly. That so that's either. the yeah, I mean I think that that was the biggest kind of takeaway that I had. Um but it's a great skill to have, yo. And it, 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 I totally understand now that why salespeople are oftentimes the highest paid people at these companies other than yeah. like, you know, a VP of something. But if you're yeah. an, an, if you're an AE at a sales force or whatever, like you're making dollars because nobody else wants to get told no all the time. Yeah. Cuz you're willing to take it and for that reason you get paid a lot, more than these engineers, more than the product managers, more than whoever else. The sales people are the highest paid people at the company yeah. because they make the company go, they bring in revenue. So, yeah. Um, now I've heard of some like seven-figure earners at, at Salesforce. Like, right. <laughs> right. Right. And you understand it. You yeah. understand it. Yeah. Um I played basketball too at a at a different level. I played in the NAI and I saw that, you know, I was like, dang, that's legit. Cause growing up, I wanted to like, obviously everyone's idol, well, not everyone's, but everyone's idol growing up is Michael Jordan. So I was like, man, yeah, I yeah. wear that North Carolina, right. uh, North Carolina blue. What was that like? You know, what did that teach you? You know, or what was that just journey like? You know what I mean? I won't, I won't lie to you, man. I, like, I don't know what's going to happen with Chessie. Like, we could, we could go public. And I still might look back and be like, making that basketball team was a, was a, my greatest accomplishment. That's how high I am on that. I think it was, it was exactly like I grew up in North Carolina too. So it's, it's, uh, you're either yeah. a Duke fan or a UNC fan. You're one or the other. And I chose the lighter blue, the right blue early on. And um, it was always you're a right. dream. But the thing for me is like, I realized around sophomore year, because I was like eighth grade, I was nice. I was like head over heels, but like better than competition. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to UNC. I'm about to go to the draft date. I'm good. <laughs> And then sophomore year came, and all of a sudden the competition, like, I stopped going. Right. I wasn't taller than everybody anymore. And I remember I was playing in this game, and this guy that was, like, pretty sought at, like, he was pretty good. Like, he ended up, he was, you know, no, no discredit to Wake Forest, but he ended up going to Wake Forest. And, like, part of the reason he did is because he's from Winston-Salem, right? But anyway, but he was, like, one of the better players that I'd ever played against, and he windmilled in the middle of the game. And, and he, that's another thing. He was in, in eighth grade, and I was a sophomore. And he windmilled in but the middle would. of the game. And wow. I was like, oh, I'm not going to yeah, see no more, man. I'm done. <laughs> you know? Like, I, I remember that moment so vividly. He windmilled in the middle of the game. I was still, like, trying to, like, be able to dunk consistently. 
Yeah. And uh, I was just like, I'm not going to UNC. Not for not, not a scholarship anymore, but like my parents, you know, African immigrant parents, so they were always very keen on good grades. It didn't matter how good I was on basketball. So my grades were solid. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just kind of picked up on other extracurricular, extracurricular stuff. I kept playing basketball and I still wanted to go to UNC for school because I knew it was a good school. And I was kind of wishy-washy about like trying to play on the team or just kind of like going to school, whatever. And I got to UNC and pickup basketball was just a really big thing. It's a basketball school in every sense, right? So pickup basketball is a really big thing. I was just like playing pickup for fun. And UNC has a JV team that like is basically the feeder into the varsity team. into like the, you know, the main team. And I was playing against a bunch of the guys or a couple of the guys on the JV team. And I was like keeping up with them, like fine. Right. And I was like, you know what, I think I can make this JV team. And then I did. Unfortunately, that was my freshman year. And I actually found out I had an undiagnosed ACL tear in my right knee. So I sat out my freshman year, played my sophomore year, like played probably a little too early my sophomore year, but still like was on the team. And then junior year I played and I like kind of was stood out. And then senior year was like 50-50 on whether or not I was going to be on there, like whether yeah. or not there was even going to be a spot for me on there. I knew if like there was a spot, it was mine. I just didn't know if there was an actual spot. I remember I got to – but I kept training all summer because I was interning in Atlanta at the time. So I would just like in, do my internship, come home, and then like go, either like, go play pickup or go run sprints or – lift weights or whatever, just trying to stay ready. And then I got to campus for my senior year and a couple weeks in, I get a coach from Hubert Davis, who's now the head coach, but he was the assistant coach. He had a text, he was my JV head coach. And he was like, hey, Toby, like Coach Williams wants you to come in and like try out. And I was like, this is this is what I've been waiting for, man. You know, like this is this is it. And of course, you know, I get to, we're talking about the the guy that windmilled in the game. Like, of course I get out there. That season was, uh, was kind of like sales, man. Like I'm getting dunked on literally every day, every day. I'm playing against people that are, that, you know, going to the NBA, going to play overseas. Yeah, like, I, it's not yeah. even, it's not even, it's not, I'm just there to, like, provide some resistance, you know? Yeah. But that's what I did. I, I provided resistance. I did all the weight lifting. Like, that was, I had to go through the full conditioning. So it's two weeks, three sessions a week of conditioning. And each one's like a test. You know what I mean? Like, you got to run yeah. a mile. I had to run a mile in 535. I got it in 534. <laughs> you know? Uh, we had to do <laughs> a bunch of sprints. We had to do a bunch of weightlifting stuff. Anyway, I got through all that. And um, at that point, I was like, am I on the team? Like, what's going on? Like, y'all giving me shoes. Y'all giving me this gear. But I, I haven't gotten the official, like, congratulations yeah, notice, you yeah. know. But then, so then one day, at this point, like, practice has started. Still haven't gotten the notice. I get to the gym. I'm a little late. Not, like, late for practice, but I'm, I'm kind of hustling. And I pass Coach Williams, and he calls me over. He says, you know, you've been doing a good job for us. I'll get, like, another thing I'll never forget. He said, you've been doing a good job for us, so don't screw it up. But we're going to keep you for the rest of the year. And like that's what he said. He didn't even say like yeah. congratulations, you made the yeah, team. Yeah, right. He just said, "Don't mess it up. You're on the don't, team. Like you, you're here." And I was like, I don't even remember what happened the rest of the day. I really don't. Like I, I was probably trash in practice, but I remember I got to my locker. I texted my mom, and again, I'm late, so I was like, "Let me not." He just said, "Don't screw it up. Let me not screw yeah. it up." So I like go do my weightlifting. I do the practice, and I come home. I go back into the locker room. Now I can kind of like settle, like just sitting in. I text my phone. My mom has already texted all her friends because at this point it's a family <laughs> thing. Like everybody knows yeah. I'm trying to make this team, man. And it was just, it was almost perfect. That was the year we lost to Villanova on the buzzer beater. That was tough. But like, it was, oh, you know, we were yeah. literally 4.7 seconds away from a national championship, you know? So, that, and that would have just been. That was your senior year? Like, that was my senior year. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, man, that would have been ice. That it would have sure been, been ice. Exactly. But I mean, like, there's still a cake. That's a great, great analogy, too. Like, that would have <laughs> been ice, sure. not a cake. But there's still a very, very good cake under it, man. It was, it was, uh, a hell of an experience. I don't know. I think more than anything else, it really just proves that like it's corny. But like if you if you put the work in, you got to have some good fortune, right? Like the timing yeah. had to work out to where there was a spot available on the team. But like if you put the work in, 
does sports influence the way that you you know work and operate and, and lead a team? I think it does. There's just a couple of memories that just like kind of stick with me, as you can tell. One practice, he was getting on us about our, our help side defense, and you know rather than actually talking about you know being in the right spot, if your teammate gets beat, you can be there to support him, and he can recover, blah blah blah. He was just saying. All five of y'all on the floor, right? Like, what if you guarded your man and you guarded yours and you guarded yours and you guarded yours and you guarded yours? You don't need to help. Yeah. He just said, like, guard the man in front of you. And I like I, that was really like a like a out of body moment for me because I was like, that's one, that's facts, right? If I guard yeah. my man and he guards his, we don't need to help. We get the ball, we can go score. But two, it's, it was like a life thing. I was just thinking, like, and I've ruminated on it since. But I was just thinking, like, there's so many problems, right? climate change i think we all feel on that right now but like i'm looking at exclusive workplaces right you're looking at poor recruiting practices and inequitable recruiting practices and there are people working on food waste and criminal justice reform there's so many problems right but we're not all skilled to work on those individual problems but like i am well suited to work on the problem of inexclusive or of exclusive workplaces right like for whatever reason you're, you have the background and the skills to work on inequitable ty- uh, how, hiring practices, right? And I just kind of think about, yeah. like, that guard the man in front of you thing. Like, I'm, let me guard the man in front of me. Let me guard, let me take care of the problem that's in front of me in these exclusive workplaces. You can do the same for recruiting. And then whoever's out there that really knows about climate change, they can guard that problem, right? Yeah. And then if we all just take care of the problem that's in front of us that we're, like, uniquely positioned to handle, we'll get these problems solved, yeah. right? And I, think, I thought about this the most in 2020 when um, George Floyd was murdered because I think there were so many, myself included, right? It, was, it just felt like everything was just going to, was just terrible, right? Everything. Like there's so yeah. many, right? And, you know, I think you had a lot of people that kind of had like a great awakening then. And people were just kind of like, what can we do? Like, how do we solve these things? It just kind of seems like everything is messed up. And I was just like, this is what you're just guarding right in front of you, man. You know, you, yeah. like some of us are, are uniquely positioned to handle criminal justice reform and, and, and police brutality. Like there are some people that handle those problems. And then in my case, right? Like I'm, that's not me. I'm not a criminal justice expert or police brutality expert, but I can work with companies to create inclusive workplaces to where maybe eventually um, these companies that donate to police unions or whatever can actually start to open up, you know, civil conversations with police unions. And you know, I mean, that sort of thing. Like you you just never know where these things can, can land, but we're all uniquely positioned to handle a problem. Maybe a couple of us are positioned to handle a couple, right? Right. But if we each take care of our neighborhood, if we each guard the man in front of us, right? At least my theory is that those things will happen. Like, we'll be able to kind yeah. of see these problems go away. I think about that all the time. I think about that in any team situation. My current team, right? Like, we have Jesse, who's an engineer, and, and me and my sister, and then we just hired this woman, Avery. And, you know, we're each uniquely positioned to solve a problem. Or, you know, in our case, in your case, too, probably like a couple of problems because we're yeah. startup and there's more problems than there are people, <laughs> you know. But um, if we each if Jesse does his job and D does her job and I do mine and Avery does hers and the contractors we have do theirs, we'll be all right. No, yeah. No, I love that because, like, I think it in some ways, like, sort of like relieves a bit of pressure if you think about it, like in a job sense. But like when you think about like the macro, like you said, like all these different problems, like. I think one of the things that people feel quite often is like like you said there's so many problems like what am i supposed to care about exactly. <laughs> you know like yeah that's it, another it, thing it that's it, you, yeah you feel like a little bit guilty and like there's just too many things and you're like 
I actually don't really care about that. Mm-hmm. But you recognize that it's a real problem and it's bad. That idea of just kind of staying singularly focused on, you know, what you're gifted at or what you're right. uniquely positioned for. Because it probably won't help. If you're doing something out of your skill set or out of your gifting, like, you may not, you may hurt the problem worse than you're, mm-hmm. you know, helping it potentially. So mm-hmm. that's just a really good life lesson, I feel like. And yeah, like for me, like with sports, it's not even like the activities itself. It's like what I learned from coaches too. So yeah, um, yeah that, that's really cool. I heard before something that well, I heard something that some something else that you were on. Uh, one of the things that you kind of hold valuable that I relate a lot to is just the idea of integrity and uh, candor. Um, mm-hmm. Like, what is that? Why? I guess why for you? Like, what what is what is important about those values and you know, how does that play out in your life? Before we were working on Chessy, we were working on this platform called Diversify. That was going to be like a, a glass door, but for people of color, for women, for, you know, people with disabilities, for veterans, et cetera. It was built on this idea that we need more transparency into, you know, workplace culture, especially for people from underrepresented communities. And I think, you know, that idea, it, we did it for like a year and a half, just wasn't really, was, wasn't really taken off. So we switched. I think we've held on to that idea of transparency and then, because it, it does, you know, it's related to integrity. You know what I mean? I think the being able to to be upfront and call someone out when they have been doing their job, right? I had to do. I've had to do that with a couple of our teammates before, and I'm I'm trying to build a culture where people can call me out on that if it happens. Because yeah. I know um, it's much easier said than done. But to, like to actually call the CEO out when he's not doing his job or her not she's not doing her job is um, not something that every employee will be willing to do. But the same way that it's important to guard the man in front of you, it's important to to call someone else out when they're not doing their job if you have to like every now and then you're going to have to help you're going to have to see, keep using this basketball analogy you're going to have to push, provide help defense but if that, that, that guy is consistently getting beat there's a problem somebody needs to tell you, yeah somebody needs to tell him that something's up he's his stance is wrong he's jumping on every pump fake whatever I, I think that's the best way that's how we my sister and i've always wanted to kind of set up our company just like be kind of be, be, be direct be straightforward about your feedback and one of our core values is be resilient right like take feedback own up to one of the, another one is one of them is be resilient one of them is take ownership so like take ownership of the thing that you're working on guard them in in front of you i think something i've been actively trying to do kind of to go along with this is is work on my delivery of the feedback you know like i i, I have a tendency to just especially when something is like bothering me i come into it super emotionally charged and hot and like it would it will seem like i'm like and i might be right i might i'll come at you like like really like i'm coming at you like at you personally not like you yeah. as my employee but like you as a human being <laughs> and um, I've I've actively worked on like one. If something is bothering me, don't go in. Don't go talk to the person in the moment that it's bothering me. Like just give it, give it, let it settle. Right. Yeah. Remember why it's bothering you, what the problem was, and then go talk to that person. Two, start with something that they're doing well. Right. Like you're you've been you've been taking great notes on these meetings. The the last product you shipped was great. Now we can talk about what you need to do better and like how we're going to kind of approach it. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. it's been because not everybody, even me, like I say, I like super direct feedback. But whenever I get it, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, it really oh, does. you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, so um, I have been trying to work on how I do the deliver, do the delivery. But um, the whole the idea or like the, the, the strategy of, you know, giving direct feedback is still something I'm holding on to. I'm still on this like kind of discovery like with leadership. Like I'm a first time founder too, so I might be like on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like 
for me, when I was talking about, you know, transparency and candor, like I, I like to think that I'm an honest person. And so like, even in challenging conversations, I tell, I tell my team all the time, I was like, even if my voice is trembling, even if I'm nervous, I'm still going to tell you what I think or still tell you, you know, I'll deliver the bad news, whatever that is. And I kind of hold, uphold myself to that. Uh, when it comes to feedback though, that's tough. Like, and actually I've been feeling better about it lately. Like I always like index too hard on like what are like i don't want to damage this person so i like try to like you know not necessarily navigate around the conversation but sometimes i could just be more direct and i've been trying to do that a a bit more lately and i feel like it's been like turning out good because the way that i think about it is like i know i'm not an a-hole and everyone else knows i'm not an a-hole there's that trust already there Mm -hmm. it's where i can deliver this and it'll land well at least hopefully and so i've been feeling feeling really good about that as of late so like i probably i imagine maybe the same for you and i'm curious if like because obviously being on a team like sports teams in a high intensity environment like you ain't got time to like sugarcoat yeah. things like yeah. hey get yeah. to the spot you know like uh-huh. do like be here that sort of thing so i'm curious if maybe stems for that or is just that that's just how you're wired i think it's kind of how i'm wired i've listened to this podcast or I read this book or something that was talking about like or tweet maybe, but it, was, it just said like, if you don't think your CEO is at least a little savage, it's the wrong one. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's my sister and myself, right? The founders of the company. And I think it can kind of be intimidating. Like Jesse was our first hire that wasn't, <laughs> that didn't Damn, have my last yeah. name. You know what yeah. I mean? Every now and then I, I actually even try to like get into an argument with the baby on our team calls. So people know that like, it's not all sweet out here, you know? Yeah. Even if it's like, it's not, even if it's not really worth arguing about, or I don't feel <laughs> that passionately about it, I'll try to invoke it then just because. People just need to know that I'm not, and it's true, like, I'm not playing around with what we're doing. You know, this is real, real serious stuff. I think it especially shows when we are dealing with, like, a a difficult contract or, like, somebody that's not necessarily on our team. And I'm, like, a little bit more willing to show that and just be, like, direct with feedback or, like, requests or whatever. But I think it's true, man. Like, this is, it's business, right? And obviously, there are, like, relationships involved. But at the end of the day, like, you got to make tough decisions. We've had to let go of, of two or three people on our team, right? And like one of them, one of them was like really easy, admittedly. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. One of them, I was like, I have no problem letting this person go. But one of them was a legitimate, like hard conversation. That was an example of where I had to go into it. Like, look, we aren't in this position to have, to for your role. We just aren't, you know what I mean? Yeah. We need to, we kind of need to reduce burn. And I person no, and I was like, you know, we're gonna keep your health insured for another, I think we said we gave him health insurance for another two months and then we gave um, at least him at least another month's worth of salary and that sort of thing. There's gotta be a balance, but you have to, as CEO, I think every now and then you gotta have one of those quote unquote savage moments. You just have to, yeah. like, if, if, if you're like, if I, mean, I think it's good for your team to know, right? And then it's also yeah. good for, um, it's good for you. I think like having conviction as a CEO is a big, big thing, right? And if you're kind of wishy-washy on decisions or, um, unwilling to like have the difficult conversations, it's not going to get any easier for you. Yeah, it's my, it's oftentimes like the worst like worst part of the job. We've had to go through that recently, and it's it's like super tough. But I feel like one, it it establishes credibility with you know, especially with obviously with investors, but then also with your team too. Like especially if you're able to articulate why, like if it's somebody that you're letting go because they're not working out, like it's. Maybe it's a cultural, you don't want to drag the rest of the team down, whether it's culture or whether like you have a bunch of players that are committed to the mission and like what you're trying to do and someone is not aligning to that. Never makes it easy, but like if you're able to articulate the why behind it, you can establish a lot of credibility and even more trust with your team. Yeah. At least that's what I've, you know, 
experience in, in those situations for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And a big piece of it is like, yeah, like I said, like the mission behind it. Um, and you guys have a really, like, I like to think of a really big mission and purpose behind what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of it is tied to identity and community. And I'm curious of like, is that how you think about it? How do you think about the future of those kind of like two intersections? Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, that's what like the, that's what ERGs are is a combination, literally the intersection of identity and community, right? Like building community with people that identify similarly to you and, and other black people or women or, you know, whatever. You know, we talked about guarding the man in front of you and I kind of feel like the man in front of me is like these inequitable workplaces because I've been in, I've been in situations where I've been on teams where things weren't equal and I've been on teams that were and I've like just personally felt the difference in like how excited I was to get to work. And, um, I think ERGs in, in many cases are like the source of people's friends at work. You know, like if you <laughs> if you work at a company with 500,000, 20,000 people, whatever, it's really good for you to just connect with somebody that kind of knows what you're going through. That's been the first black person on their team or, you know, the first woman to get promoted or whatever. We just want to amplify that. You know, we want everyone that works at a company to feel that sense of belonging. And we think that if, if the more successful ERGs we can create, the more that sense is going to be kind of spread out through the company. And I think ultimately what we want to do is, you know, I think you and I get excited for what we're doing because it's it's ours, one, right? Yeah. But we're also, we're both working towards a, a, a bigger kind of vision and mission here. And I think what we ultimately want to do, right, is help companies connect their ERGs to their various business units and business teams. I've heard stories about companies doing like about a movie company running production of its like very first, this is the uh, soul. I don't know if you've seen that Pixar movie. Yeah. Animated one. So Pixar actually worked with its black ERG and like ran the whole movie by them before they put it out. Right. To make sure that like the dialogue was representative and the characters were, you know, were, were portrayed yeah. um, in a way that would be acceptable and like kind of favorable for black people. Cause that was not necessarily, it was, well, you know, it was a target audience. I could say that. Yeah. yeah. That's obviously a very Pixar specific use case, but Every company has a product that they want to be able to market to more people, right? Or a sales pipeline that needs more diversity in it or marketing campaigns that need to be reviewed or, you know, so many different use cases, a lot of which we're probably not even aware of because I think once you actually give companies this kind of power, they get creative, right? And like yeah. the, the employees of these companies get creative. And imagine if you were, you know, if you're a salesperson or you're, you're an engineer or product manager or whatever, but you're also a part of an ERG that gives you an opportunity. And through being a part of that ERG, you have an opportunity to help your company be more inclusive. And potentially, if I'm a salesperson, but I got a lot of experience in environmental justice, right? Through my work with our, our company is like CSR ERG or whatever, like I can help our company decarbonize its footprint or whatever, right? I'm just, yeah. I'm just like saying buzzwords for environmental, but I don't even know <laughs> if, these, if these things match. But like, that's exactly like, I think that, that sense of excitement that you and I have to get to work every day, even though it's still work, yeah, right? But that sense of excitement that like understanding that we're working towards a bigger thing than just like sending this email or like building out this pitch deck or whatever is that I, I think that same sort of sense that we can help give every employee at every company that uses Chessy, right? It is 100% right now, at least about the intersection of community and identity. And I think it's always going to be that, but it's kind of leveraging the power of that intersection towards for business growth, but also yeah. like large scale solving of some of these, these problems that we're talking about. Yeah. What, uh, what do you find yourself 
I kind of position is like, what do you find yourself like preaching the most? Maybe the people that you sell to just get it all the time, or maybe there's folks in your market that maybe don't get it. What do you wish you could like convince them of more often? Yeah, it's it's tough, man. Because I think the most of the time when we're we're having sales conversations, the first conversation is is with a, a DEI program manager, right? Like somebody who who's who basically has the job of owning and managing and running the ERGs, and if that person controlled the checkbook, we'd be blowing up right now. We really would. <laughs> if we, 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 we would be doing crazy, crazy revenue numbers, man. But I think the challenge is a lot of times they have to go make the request to uh, their executive. boss, a CPO, or you know, a boss that actually controls the checkbook. And for that person, they're not as involved in the ERGs. And they might, you know, they might be wondering, like, why do we have these things anyway? Right? And I think that's where, that's what I find myself kind of bang my head against the wall. So I'm just like, if, if only y'all knew what you could be doing, yeah. right? But you can't get to what I'm talking about with Pixar. You can't get to Pixar's level of, you know, impact from their URGs, probably, if you if you don't know how many members are in your URGs, right? Or you're not scheduling events regularly, or you're just not doing some of these best practices things, best practice things that are built into how Chessy runs, you know? So that's what I would say. That would be my response to that kind yeah. of, what do you find? Even at a, like, fundamental level, I have to imagine that, you know, successful ERG leads to just higher attention, like as at a baseline. At a baseline, uh, at a, and I almost like kind of gloss over that one because I'm just like, that's a, you know, that's 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 table table stakes, stakes exactly. <laughs> it's literally it's table stakes, man. I'm thinking about, and not that that's obviously that's an amazing impact, and if if we could, if slash when we could demonstrate that, I think that'll be a big impact and a big benefit for us and for the companies we're selling to as well. But I'm thinking bigger, you know. Yeah, no, I love that. What are successful companies that you work with doing specifically that you think is making them win in this category, you know, when it comes to ERGs? I think they're consistent more than anything else. You know, I think one of the mistakes that a lot of companies that I can see make is that, you know, you have, you do your big set of events or programs or comms or whatever for your heritage month, women's month, black history month, Hispanic heritage month is coming up at the end of like two weeks. And then your ERGs is like more or less dormant the rest of the year. During that month, people were like, oh, this is great. This happy hour, this like speaker event, this panel, professional development session, whatever. This is great. But then they want more of it, right? And you don't give that to them because you're not like, because for whatever reason, like, you don't have a, a platform for managing these. Your people are kind of overworked. You don't necessarily have the buy-in or like the budget to do stuff throughout the year, whatever else, whatever reason it is. But like your ERG kind of just goes dormant outside of those heritage mode. And the ones that the successful companies we have, they're hosting events. Some of them are hosting too many events, to be honest with you. Like, so yeah. I'm like, y'all, they kind of need to scale it down. <laughs> but you'd rather have that than, you know, one event a year or two events a year. And I think that's that's the biggest thing for us is consistency amongst these ERGs where they're sending out columns or sending out events. Um, their members are always kind of kept in the loop on what's going on. And, you know, Chessy helps them do that. But a lot of these companies were doing it before. It was just that it was, like, taking them way, way too long because there's no, like, centralized way of doing it. Gotcha. That's what's up, man. Um I'm getting to a point where I'm getting close to taking up a ton of your time. But before we go, the way I like to kind of close the show is this is this being the future at work podcast. We're going to hit those three categories. So first is the future. Uh, what is your prediction for the future? This could be for yourself personally, Chessie, uh, or just the world. What's one prediction that you have for the future? I don't know why I'm drawn to say something about AI, like I'm an AI specialist. <laughs> I'm definitely not. You and I work in tech. I don't know how often you use chat gpt and some of these AI tools but like i've started to use them more and it does it literally improves increases your productivity 
Yeah. Like it's so many aspects, and I, it it does. And then I talk to friends of mine that are equally as educated, same age, same generation, and they're like, "Oh, you can do that with ChatGPT," you know. And they like you would think that would come from like my mom, right? Somebody yeah. that doesn't know anything about technology, but like it does. It does really feel like AI is not is not NFTs. This right. is a real, real shift that is happening right now, and I need to do a better job kind of educating myself on it as well. But. Um, I think at the individual knowledge level, because obviously there are a bunch of companies, companies from every company is like trying to make investments on it. Oh, and, yeah. you know, we've thought about like what that looks, what that means for Chessie. But I think at the individual, just like I'm a marketing manager, I'm a engineer, you know, I'm a product manager. Like the way, the the more you can work AI into your day to day to where like, you know, that thing that used to take you two hours now takes you 10 minutes, the better off you'll be. So that's my, that's my prediction. I don't even know if that's super bold, but that's, that's what I got for you. Nah. I like it. I like it. Um, next is we're going to go work. So what is your favorite thing about work? What you do? It's having a team. It's just baffling to me that that people have like we've never actually gotten somebody. I was just talking about to a friend about this. We've never actually gotten somebody to like leave their job. We already made two hires. We've never gotten somebody to like leave their job and come work to us. Everyone that we, we brought on has been like looking for a role. So yeah, you know, aster- asterisk there. But like, I just think it's crazy that people have like had a conversation with me, learned about the company that my sister and I built, and been like, "Yeah, I want to work with y'all." That's like yeah. that foundationally. That's a that's a crazy statement, man. Like, we're yeah. not a big name. We got four employees. We don't have any <laughs> offices. None of this stuff. Like, no, nothing we have is a guarantee. Nothing. Chelsea could be out of business. You know, huge, huge knock on wood here. We theoretically <laughs> things could just hit the wall. Something terrible could happen. We could be out of business. Oh, for here, sure. You know. And people still said yes. I think that's I think that's crazy. That's my favorite thing about work to me is that like some people actively said yes. I will come work. I'll work with you. I love that. That's and like more it, people it, will do it too. Is the thing. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And the last one is where can people find you at, or where do you want people to find you at? I just launched my personal website, so check that out. It's tobyegbuna.com. Also, obviously, check out chessy.co, man. We are. If you're a company, if you're an employee at a company with ERGs, if you're an ERG lead, if you're a DEI manager, HR manager, whatever else that um, kind of touches or just wants to see their company kind of excel. Because, I, I mean, honestly, that should have been my future, my prediction for the future is that ERGs will be a big part of how companies do business. And hopefully that's ushered by the work that we're doing. But if you're interested in learning more, you can contact us at my email is toby at chesie.co. You can go on chesie.co.co. Um, and that's C-H-E-Z-I-E uh, to learn more. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you. And uh, and next time, I haven't been in Atlanta in a while. But next time yeah, I'm there, man, or next up. time you're hit here in up. Indy, let's find a fit. Let's figure out a pickup game and uh, for sure. And see how we do. Uh, I have a, a good. Yeah, man. My college roommate lives in India too, so uh, we can get a nice little three of us. For sure. Just don't dunk on me. <laughs> I've only been dunked on once, and I know. I, I, will. <laughs> I promise. I promise. All right, man. I appreciate you. Uh, thanks for joining, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Future at Work brought to you by Qualify and created in partnership with Share Your Genius. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and you can connect with me on LinkedIn where we can continue the conversation from there. See you next time.